Christian journey is like a mountain climb with Jesus as our mountain guide leading the way. It can be difficult as we are called to follow Jesus and live in accordance with his ways, which may be counter to our natural instincts and cultural norms. The only way to reach the summit is to stay connected to Jesus and follow his guidance. Prayer is our primary way of staying connected to him, but sometimes we may not know how to pray or even what to say. Just as a novice climber may ask a seasoned guide for help navigating the mountain, Jesus' disciples, who are more familiar with prayer, ask him to teach them how to pray. What we call the Lord's Prayer is Jesus' response, offering us a pattern to follow in our own prayers. But the prayer itself is also powerful and can help us in our journey. Through this series, we invite you to join us in saying the Lord's Prayer, both as a congregation and on your own. Whether you are a seasoned climber or new to the journey, we encourage you to turn to Jesus and say, Lord, guide us on this climb and teach us to pray. Hmm. Teach us to pray. Well... There's a handout that will help you this morning. It's in the, the handout that you were given. <laughs> handout in the handout. Teaching handout in the handout. If you need one, Devin, if you could help people get, if you need one, don't have a teaching um, guide, keep your hand up there for a minute or two. We have some extras that will be coming your way. Keep that hand up. There's some fill in the blanks and some ways to follow along. You know, prayer... Um, it seems so passe, so like out of vogue. And then Buffalo Bills safety, Damar Hamlin, went into cardiac arrest last Monday night and the world prayed. You know, that was special. That, that was moving. I was, I was brought to tears. I was seeing that and the response. And it was just a moment when it seemed as if the world recognized there's something more going on. And the world prayed. As followers of Jesus, we need to learn to pray. <laughs> and this teaching series, uh, through uh, the beginning of March, actually, we're going to take an, a close and hard look at the Lord's Prayer. We're going to see the special gift that this prayer is uh, for us. Um, in a little bit, I will give you an opportunity to participate with the conversation today to text in some responses to some particular questions that I'm going to pose and uh, I'm going to pose to you. And we're going to have a chance to interact together. That phone number is on the screen. It will also come back up again a little bit. It's also in the handout that you were given. Um, so there's going to be some participation uh, this morning. Would you stand with me and let's read um, the scripture that we will uh, focus on today is we're thinking about uh, the Lord's Prayer. You read the words in yellow, okay? I'll read the words in white. We're in Isaiah 64, verses 3 through 8. When you came down long ago, you did awesome deeds beyond our highest expectations. And oh, how the mountains quaked. For since the world began, the ear has heard, no eye has seen a God like you who works for those who wait for him. 
You welcome those who gladly do good, who follow godly ways. But you have been very angry with us, for we are not godly. We are constant sinners. How can people like us be saved? We are all infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy rags. Like autumn leaves, we wither and fall, and our sins sweep us away like the wind. Yet no one calls on your name or pleads with you for mercy. Therefore, you have turned away from us and turned us over to our sins. And yet, O oh Lord, you are our father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are all formed by your hand. This is the word of the Lord. Hmm. You can be seated. I'll begin by investigating some of these scriptures with you. We begin looking at the Lord's Prayer by taking a closer look at the phrase, Our Father. Now, this phrase, Our Father, is so common that we might not comprehend its meaning very well. On one hand, we understand the basic concept of what a father is. And so we open the Lord's Prayer maybe with some comprehension. On the other hand, since our own earthly fathers are imperfect or absent, or because cultural understandings of what fathers can be are also broken, we certainly don't automatically understand who we are praying to when we say the phrase, our father. Now, Christians, we look to the scriptures for understanding. We invite the scriptures to help us learn and also to unlearn things that are unhelpful. We invite the scriptures to affirm our perceptions and intuitions that are consistent with the nature of who God is, with the nature of what reality is in the world that he created, but we also invite the scriptures to contradict us. This morning, we read the prophet Isaiah, who is charged with reminding his uh, people that he was ministering to reminding them of who, what the truth of God was, who God is, and also the mercy of God. So there's this truth and there's this mercy thing that come together in Isaiah's words. So I'm going to read back through Isaiah 64, verses 3 through 7. And I would like you to take note of the phrases and the, um, uh, the phrases that you agree with and intuitively, and the phrases that contradict you, that you're like, ah, I'm not sure I, I buy that. <laughs> um, the scriptures will be our firm foundation, and we'll have a bit of a conversation about this. These are, the scriptures are Jesus, his number one tool in guiding us up the steep mountain on the Jesus journey. So this morning, he is pointing to the solid ground of his word, so we might step in safety. He's a good guide to us. I'll read back through. Pay attention to what strikes you and what irks you. When you came down long ago, you did awesome deeds beyond our highest expectations. Oh, how the mountains quaked. For since the world began, no ear has heard and no eye has seen a God like you who works for those who wait for him. You welcome those who gladly do good and who follow godly ways, but you have been very angry with us, for we are not godly. We are constant sinners. How can people like us be saved? 
We are all infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy rags. Like autumn leaves, we wither, we fall, and our sins sweep us away like the wind. Yet no one who calls on your name, no one calls on your name or pleads with you for mercy. Therefore, you have turned away from us and turned us over to our sins. And yet, O Lord, you are our father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are all formed by your hand. Our trail map today about praying to our father. We'll go through all three of these. If you don't get the fill in the blanks right now, that's fine. They're going to come back up. Our father God is unique and is not automatically understood. Number two, our father God humbles us and does not brush aside our sin. And number three, our father God shapes us and does not invite us to shape him. Okay. Let's jump in. Our Father God is unique and is not automatically understood. Reaching the peak of understanding God as our Father is like scaling a tall, treacherous mountain. It's a journey that requires effort and perseverance as we must work to comprehend the unique qualities of God and how he differs from our imperfect earthly fathers and cultural understandings of fatherhood. So as we begin the Lord's prayer and we say our father, it is right for us to take a step back and ask what that means. And it's much bigger than any of us could describe. Isaiah 64, four, what it just said there. For since the world began, no ear has heard and no eye has seen a God like you who works for those who wait for him. Now the world that Isaiah was ministering to was full of religion and ideas about who the people uh, thought the gods might be. But in the history of the people of Israel, God revealed his uniqueness uh, to them. He revealed that he is unlike other gods. So in order to have further understanding about that, let's take a look at a conversation between God and Moses Um, in Exodus 3. So this is rewinding even further. In Exodus chapter 3, Moses is trying to ascertain the identity of God. And Moses protests it to God. He said, if I go to the people of Israel and tell them, the God of your ancestors sent me to you, they will ask, what is his name? And what should I tell them, God? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me. I am that I am. That doesn't do the identifying trick that we would want it to. That's a big statement. Now there's so much to say about this passage, this conversation between Moses and God, but today I'd like us to focus on the idea that God does not take on an identity that we can easily understand. Why would God do this? I think as our created creator, he knows that we are limited in our ability to comprehend him. And if he were a, if he were to identify himself as like, well, Moses, I am like a bird that flies to his people, or I am like a lion who roars against Pharaoh, or I am a dove that, intends to bring peace, that we would only be able to uh, put God 
in the box of our own understanding according to that metaphor. Perhaps this is why God instructed the people not to make graven images out of the Lord their God because we would automatically truncate or make small our comprehension of who God is. When we pray our Father, we are intended to recognize that we are praying to the unique one whose thoughts are higher than our thoughts, whose ways are higher than our ways. Stanley Harawas says this, <laughs> God is not some great basket we can fill with any warm, fuzzy thoughts we choose, some amorphous something that is the mystery left over after we have explained everything else in life by other means. We don't get to make God in our own image. He is the unique God who reveals himself to us. And because he is the unique God, or it's said, the one true God, he can uniquely call us to live in his ways. The second point in our investigation this morning, our father God humbles us and does not brush away our sin. He humbles us and does not brush away our sin. As we climb higher and encounter challenges on our journey to understand God as our father, he humbles us just as a steep mountain slope can humble even the most experienced climber. He doesn't brush aside our sin, but rather helps you and I to confront it and overcome it. The passage we just read, Isaiah writes on behalf of the people, he says, we are constant sinners. How can people like us be saved? We are all infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy rags. Like autumn leaves, we wither and fall and our sins sweep us away like the wind. Now our culture that we live in, our society, values acceptance and tolerance, but often lacks high expectations and standards. We tend to only hold on to the belief in universal, like the only standard is universal acceptance. Individual freedom is touted. As long as you don't hurt anyone else, live in the way that you would like to live. But is it true that we can live in freedom doing what we would like as long as it never hurts anyone? I think that's a bit of a myth. For example, a very personal choice that I am making and have made and have to make over and over again. I am right now eight days into significantly restricting my food intake. I'm acknowledging my sin of gluttony. Now, my excessive eating is my choice, one that I am free to choose. But I cannot decide that my choices with what I put into me only affects me. Harming my body will harm my children if I die of a preventable heart disease. Will harm my future grandchildren if I'm too heavy and unhealthy to play with them. Will harm my wife if I force her to be a caretaker too early and could even harm you if I can no longer be a pastor because of my failing health. This is my choice 
And I would like to say it only affects me, but that's not the way the world is. When we pray to our Father, we are humbled because he does not overlook our sin. He does not just shrug our shoulders and God never says, you just do you, boo. (laughs) No, rather our third point on our investigation this morning, our Father God shapes us and does not invite us to shape him. God shapes us as we strive to understand him. Much like a mountain shapes a climber through the challenges and obstacles encountered on the ascent. God does not invite us to shape him, but rather guides us towards a deeper understanding and his nature and his will for our lives. Isaiah 64 and 8. And yet, O Lord, you are the father. You are our father. We are the clay and you are the potter. We are formed by your hand. The picture that Isaiah uses here and is picked up in other parts of scripture as well is the imagery of an artist at the potter's wheel. The potter has in mind the shape and the expression of his artwork. Again, we live in a world that attempts to form reality in our own image, but God shapes us. Owen and I, my son Owen and I, we climbed the South Sister in 2020 at 10,358 feet. Now from base camp, it took uh, Owen and I three hours and 14 minutes to get to the summit. And I'll speak for myself here that the last hour was a tough one. <laughs> Owen was young and spry, is young and spry, and well, just skip rope right up the mountain. Anyway. <laughs> now, imagine with me if I superimposed my experience of climbing the South Sister onto summiting Mount Everest. Here's the difference. We have someone in our church, actually, that is going to climb, I think, to base camp on Mount Everest this year. Yeah, you can identify yourself if you want. Nope, okay, all right. So there's a big difference between the South Sister, which was imposing and very mountainous, at 10,000 feet, or the summit of Mount Everest. Notice the oxygen, usable oxygen at 10,000 feet, which I was struggling with. 16.9% of the atmosphere. Mount Everest, (laughs) 6.9%. Now we could sit around all day imagining what Everest is like based upon our limited experience. But in fact, Mount Everest will teach us what Mount Everest is like and we will not teach Mount Everest. (laughs) Mount Everest will not be made into our own image based upon our experience or our ideas. It, Mount Everest, is that it is. Similar to God saying, I am that I am. Again, we live in a culture that has all sorts of ideas of what God is like. We make God in our own image. It is very common for people to say, God isn't like that. Like what? 
Well, what is he like? He is that he is. And he hasn't asked you or me for our opinion on the matter. (laughs) The mountain shapes us and not vice versa. Now, here's the time where we get to interact with one another. I'm going to set a three-minute timer and going to invite you to text responses to to the following questions. First of all, the question, where is there some conflict for you in this passage? And we would say, what is the spirit disrupting, dislodging, contradicting? Text your thought with conflict before that thought. Or number two, where is there some clarity for you in this passage? What is the spirit confirming? Text your thought with the word confirming before your thought. Now, I'm going to reflect these back to the room. I will not share who has shared what with me. It will be anonymous. But if you still do not want me to share what you write, please start your text with private. So I don't um, say something that, or read something that you don't want me to. So, where is there some conflict, or what is being, uh, what is, where is there some clarity? Um, so you have three minutes to do that, and then I'll come back up, and we'll hear what God is sparking among us. Okay, ready, go.
Okay. <laughs> oh, great job, everyone. Now, um, we are going to have a short time to hear what God's spirit might be sparking among us. Some thoughts here. Please remember that we are each different humans with different opinions, and it is okay to hear something that you don't agree with. Can that just be true, right? Yeah. The only way not to hear something you don't agree with is to shut your ears, and I don't think that's, yeah. This is the space for us to be nourished by what God's Spirit is doing in each other. That's why... You've noticed, you've been with us. In the last few months, I've begun shifting this way so that we can have a community experience and not just my words here. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to read several responses. First of all, those who began with the word conflict. Okay. <clears throat> hmm. Conflict. It's not in our nature to consider how our sin impacts others. Maybe this is an awareness like, oh, that touches something in me. Hmm. Conflict. It is so easy to let the world's influence penetrate my thinking on God, but he is self-sufficient to describe himself. I want him to be like me. But that is so short-sighted because he is so much greater, higher, deeper, better. Ooh, some good honesty there. Conflict. Quote, you turned us over to our sins. This person says, I don't understand. God does not tempt us or cause me to sin. What does it mean for him to turn me over to my sin? I... I hate my sin. So wrestling, what, is, what does that mean? Yeah. We'll wrestle with that, and there's some good responses that we'll, we'll come to. Uh, conflict, none? Okay, somebody said none. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> uh, conflict. Displaying our righteous deeds and then describing them as nothing but filthy sins. It said filthy rags. They're nothing but filthy rags. This line makes me feel that our good goes unseen. Interesting. Thank you. Okay. Conflict, how do we parse through the noise of what fellow Christians and culture screams as truths of who God is? Sometimes I feel like our bodies, I imagine that meant like our churches, aggressive statements of who God is, and more importantly, who God accepts, are bold and potentially inaccurate. Yeah, so how do we parse through the noise? It's a great question. Okay, conflict. <laughs> the never-ending challenge of overcoming 
the seemingly unassailable situations, yet God always comes through, the seemingly endless barrage of problems that seem unsurmountable, yet God always offers a way out, the hardest of hard, the seemingly unimaginable, at the most critical of times, and yet God is there. Mm. So despite all of this, God is still there. Okay, conflict. <laughs> How can I be in a relationship with Mount Everest? <laughs> That's well said. How can I be in a relationship with someone beyond my comprehension? If I am who I am is all I can understand. Great question. Thank you. Conflict, I understand the need to have high expectations and realizing that our actions have effects and consequences for others, but how do we also how do we do so without alienating those we want to bring into relationship with us and Jesus? It's a question for the ages. How do how do we grapple with connecting this high expectation with where people are at and not alienating them? It's a lovely question. Lovely question. Okay. All right. Um, some of yeah, I wasn't able to get to all of them, but I'm going to read some that are confirming. Confirming thoughts. Confirming, you never know what the Lord looks like or what he has planned, and you may never know, but it's a heavenly feeling to know he's there regardless. Mm. So even in the mystery, he's there, even if we can't understand it. Confirming, the Mount Everest analogy really clarified for me how we do not shape God in our image, but he teaches and shapes us. He is. Mm. Confirming, I am that I am has never made sense to me, but now it's starting to become a little clearer. Confirming, God is God, we are not. Well said. We've said that quite a bit here before. Confirming, let go, let God. It's not easy to give up control, but there are things we cannot control that God is shaping for us. Wow, that's good. <clears throat> Clarity. I love the visual of the mountains and that, that God doesn't ask my opinion. <laughs> yes. Oh. It brought some clarity. Confirming. God can do what he wants, whenever he wants, and I don't get to or have to ask why he's the potter. That was confirming. Mm. And then this person went on to say, I always want to know the why, but God doesn't owe me context for my suffering, and that kind of sucks sometimes. <laughs> I'm just reading, folks. I'm just reading. <laughs> it's kind of like sometimes I have to feel like I have to apologize for the Bible, and I'm like, oh, there it is. You know, like. Okay, lots of good thoughts. We won't be able to get to them all. Um, okay. All right. <laughs> Bless you. Is that what you say for a hiccup? I don't know. <laughs> uh -huh. And the final confirming one, it is helpful to remember that God is other and awesome. He's worthy of awe way beyond my, our minute understanding. Okay. 
I'm just going to attempt to summarize, and I won't be able to capture all of it, but as I'm reading through and thinking with you, summarizing some of the conflicts that are definitely in the room. One of the conflicts is, okay, high standards, okay, God being holy other, okay, but how in the world do we connect that with helping people to connect with this God who we say is love? Nobody said that, but that's, I'm filling in the blank. We say is love. How in the world do you do that? It's a great question. That's some of the conflict that is in the room. Also, the, the, the analogy, uh, the metaphor of Mount Everest. How do you have a relationship with Mount Everest? This ah, huge, inanimate, and then here we are. How do we, how do, how do, we do that? Hmm. Good question. Some clarity. I think a lot of people in the room got, okay, God is God and, and we are not. That metaphor of Mount Everest paints that picture. Yeah, whoa, I see how I am shaping him in my own image. Oh, when he says I am that I am, oh, he's, he's declaring that I am unlike anything that you know and I am set apart. The word the scriptures use there is holy. He is holy. Um, two weeks from today, we're going to explore that phrase in the prayer, hallowed be your name. What does that mean? Holy is your name. What does this holiness mean? Um, but there was some clarity there of just like, whoa, yeah, okay. That is, whew, there's clarity. He's the potter. We're the clay. Yeah, that makes sense. So we see some conflict and some clarity that is right here in the room. Let's move into the next section when some of this will get some, some answers and we'll be able to attend to some of the conflict that was there. Here's the good news. We know the Father, Mount Everest, so, so to speak, through Jesus. Through Jesus. John writes, no one has ever seen God, but the unique one, which I added parenthetically, this is who John is referring to, who has himself God is near to the father's heart. He has revealed the father to us. So the God exists in Trinity, the triune God, the father, the son, and the Holy Spirit. And some of what we are talking about in the room, some of the conflict and the clarity that we need resides within a comprehension of the Trinity. The father who has given the son Jesus, Jesus who reveals the Father to us, Jesus who gives the Spirit, the Holy Spirit who points us to all truth, the scriptures say, which is held within Jesus who is the truth, who helps us to know the Father. Jesus said, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus reveals the I am to us, that passage in Exodus 3 that we just read. I am that I am. Jesus uh, says, the people said, you aren't even 50 years old. How can you say that you have seen Abraham? And Jesus answered. And, and it's, I, I picture, this is just my imagination. I see, like, I picture Jesus like getting big and, and like not scary, but just like holy right in that moment to tell you the truth before Abraham was even born. I am, am, am. <laughs> I am that I am. This is unlike anything you have seen before. Jesus, God, 
made flesh to come and live and dwell among us. So let's go back to our points and let's restate them with this idea of Jesus being the one who reveals the Father to us. Jesus being the the key that unlocks some of these deep and big questions about how we connect with God's holiness, with with the reality of where we are and where our broken world is. First of all, Jesus is unique and is not automatically understood, but the Spirit reveals Jesus to us. The Holy Spirit, which has been unleashed in the world, will constantly be taking you back to Jesus. And as you are back to Jesus to understand him, you're more likely to have a comprehension of the Father. Martin Luther said something to the effect of this, my paraphrase. Martin Luther said, God is, the idea of God is too abstract, but my friends, look upon Jesus and there you will find God. God is Father, Son, and Spirit. And when we pray to the Father, we don't know what to pray, but we discover that God is already praying for us. When we approach the prayer and we say our Father, there is this thing of being connected to the great I am, which is this holy otherness, this huge thing. And we don't know quite what to pray in the midst of that, but what we discover in the scriptures is the Holy Spirit is already praying for us. Romans 8, 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought, but that very Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. And God, who searches the heart, knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Jesus is unique and not automatically understood, but the Spirit reveals Jesus to us. What connects our world and its brokenness to the holiness of God, that would be the pathway of Jesus Christ. We talked a number of weeks ago about truth, the truth of Jesus being upon the stage upon which grace can dance. If you want to connect the, the, those in the world, those who are lost in sin to, to brokenness, connect them to the person of Jesus who provides a platform for grace and forgiveness and healing to enter in connecting back our original thoughts about God by inserting Jesus into the mix. Jesus humbles us. He does not brush aside our sin. Instead, he died for our sins so we can be made whole. Romans 8, 33 through 34, who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is sitting at the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Some of those stark statements that we make about the nature and the reality of God do press upon every generation the reality that we are broken, that we are sin-ridden, that we are we left to our own. We end up destroying everything. That is true, and we cannot escape that. But on the other side of that statement is, but for the grace of God, he sent his son to be able to heal us from our sins. What our culture wants to do over and over again is heal each other from our sins without wrestling with the holiness of God. And that will never get us to full healing. It gets to things like niceness. 
and universal tolerance that suggests that anything goes when in fact it is breaking us and making us sick over and again. All right. The third thing, Jesus shapes us and does not invite us to shape him. And this way, this is not a reciprocal relationship. <laughs> what do you want to do today? <laughs> <laughs> Instead, we are conformed to his image. And again, in Romans 8, this first verse is familiar to you. We know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. In order, you see that? Conformed to the image of his son. Conformed to Jesus. In order that he might become firstborn, the firstborn within a large family. We are conformed to be like him. So in the end, we don't want to pray to a God that is limited to our understanding. How pitiful would that be? If each of us made a list of the things that we wanted God to be, and then we're like, okay, I'm going to pray to that. Like, it would just disappear within minutes. It's just like, what is that? nothing but to pray to our father the great I am our father the holy one over the universe our father who sent the son so we might be able to see him more our father who did not brush away our sin but rather gave his son as a sacrifice for our sins our father who is holy and other, transcendent above all generations, above all time, who gave us the person of Jesus that we might know how to love within a broken world. Our Father who gave us Jesus, who gives us the spirit to be able to draw us back into that holy relationship. Our Father who sets the standard of truth and then gives us grace. Our Father who art in heaven. So, we live in a time in which it is very normal and natural for us all to need to wrestle with our thoughts. And we're providing opportunities for that by running Alpha again. You heard it earlier. It begins in February, and Alpha is a place to wrestle more. Some of the very good thoughts of conflict that you had, Alpha is a great space to, to learn more and to connect more. Going forward for you as you begin uh, this year, we invite you to the 21 days of prayer and fasting. Uh, families, there's a little spot on each day for you to do a little family activity together to invite your kids into this, invite you to do that. You'll notice that the prayer guide is leading us towards Jesus. The, the question to so much of what we're wrestling with is come back to Jesus. And there are all sorts of prompts for praying and reflecting each day. And I would encourage you, as we are learning the Lord's Prayer, maybe start with that. And as you say, our Father, don't allow the familiarity of that word, whatever you think it means to you, uh, unnecessarily make small actually what it is we are praying. And uh, just a note for us, even as we deal with our family, our own holiness, <laughs> we are unplugging the TV for three weeks, <laughs> screens. And this relates to a lot of what we're saying. How is it that we 
get a sense of the holiness of God? Some of it is we need to turn off the stuff that is actually affecting our vision of reality and turn to God in prayer in the scriptures. Hmm. Well, next week we will explain and explore who art in heaven, our father who is in heaven. Why is it that Jesus would teach us to pray in this way? Why is this important? Why, what does this phrase connect us with? How does it work out? We'll explore that more as we continue our series. We've called, Lord, teach us to pray.